Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitcavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check us out on the web at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. Today's guest is a writer living in Ottawa, Ontario. Her short stories have been nominated for the Pushcart Prize, Best of the Net, Best Small Fictions, and recognized on the Wiggly Top 50 long list. She is a 2021 graduate of the University of Ottawa, where she studied English and theater. Her debut novel, Groupies, is out now. I'm, of course, talking about the amazing Sarah Priscus. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing fabulous. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, this book, I think I'll let you explain it, but it's being compared to like pretty heavy hitters in the same genre. And then I was like, of yeah. course I have to read groupies your day. <laughs> um, and I loved it. And, but I won't talk Thank about you. it. I'll let you talk about it first. Um, okay. what is groupies? So groupies is about a, a young woman named Fawn. Uh, it's set in 1977 and Fawn basically moves to Los Angeles to reunite with her best friend from high school. whose name is Josie. And when she gets there, Josie reveals that she is dating Cal Holiday, who is the front man of this huge rock band called Holiday Sun. Uh, Josie, of course, takes Fawn to the band's concerts and Fawn quickly falls in with the band and basically becomes their groupie as she tries to use them to build up her photography career. It's all very fun and all very exciting uh, until things get kind of dark, get kind of uh, not spooky, but uh, there are definitely some dark corners, some unpleasant things happening and, you know, things spiral out of control. I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but uh, there's some blood, there's some yelling and screaming and uh, For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you obviously were not alive during the seventies. Um, no. <laughs> um, why 1970s rock and roll? Like when, how did this all come together? I guess. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I, I'd been fascinated by the seventies since I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember I saw like a video of Fleetwood Mac performing Rhiannon on the midnight special. And if you like, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's, it's just the most amazing performance ever. It's just Stevie Nicks going so wild, just screaming into the microphone, being so intense. And as soon as I saw that, I said, I need to listen to more seventies music because I love this and it's so cool and it's so exciting. And I love the intensity of it. Uh, I also got really into seventies Saturday night live, <laughs> which I think gave me a pretty good working knowledge of seventies pop culture. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, so it's just always been an era I've really been fascinated with and I wanted to write about groupies, but because of that, I didn't really feel like I could set it in a contemporary era Yeah. because you know, I'm sure there are groupies today, but it's not the same. I think before the internet and cell phones, it was so much easier for there to be these big secrets and these spaces set aside completely for celebrities that common people weren't invited into. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought it was kind of an exciting, glamorous, but also not to use the word dark over and over, but there's a real darkness to the era that I find really fascinating. No, I agree. Definitely. I feel like, you know, up until the mid nineties, there was like celebrity was different now yeah. you need access to celebrity you have to have tiktok or twitter i need to know i need to know what they're eating for breakfast i need to know when they're going to the gym yeah. like yeah but like you know stevie nicks no one knew what she was doing in between tours or albums unless it was no. in the tabloids and you had to go seek that out or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah and like 
like I said, I was obviously drawn to it because I enjoy 70s rock and groupies. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love a good groupie? Um, yeah. So SNL was was that intentional research or were you watching and then the, the book idea came down the road? Well, I don't know. I, I had my SNL phase also in high school. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I was, I really was really into like those first five seasons, you know, um, you know, Chevy Chase was only in for one season, but like the Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, yeah. Gilda Rodner years, oh, John Belushi. Yeah. I just found it so fun. I just found it so interesting. And, you know, I watched all of that before I ever even started writing the book, but then when I started writing it and it was set in the 70s, I thought, hey, I can just kind of build off what I basically kind of know. And of course, I had to do a lot of research mm-hmm. and confirm things that I was assuming. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of just established this baseline knowledge that made it easier for me to draft. Well, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll get the timeline quickly. So of, yeah. ju- of just your writing. It's a little confusing. I'm questions. sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's... Um, <laughs> I, I, this is how I always do things. I'm confusing. Okay. Oh, um, don't oh. worry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so groupies, when did you, <laughs> when did the idea come? When did you start writing? Cause you just graduated college, like within the past year yeah. or so. So was it before yeah. college, uh, during college? How did it all go? So I started writing groupies in, I want to say my second year of university, like late second. I, a couple years ago and I was just writing it throughout my whole undergrad I finished it um yeah before I graduated I finished it in my last year I did five years so in my fifth year of undergrad is when I finished it and got my agent and everything uh so yeah I wrote the whole thing during my undergrad but I have been interested in 70s rock and roll and groupies you know like I said since high school but it had never really turned into an actual complete piece of writing yeah until- and and, and- and you yeah. went to University of Ottawa, which is yeah. in Canada, obviously. Yes. Um, I, what is the Canadian literary scene like? Is it like in America, the MFA thing? I mean, I know it's it's not like a completely different country. We're all in the same world, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like, what's it like? Is like, did, did people, are there a lot of writers coming out of Ottawa? Are you an anomaly? What's it, is it a writing community there? Um, I, I know there <laughs> is like a, there's a big poetry scene in mm. Ottawa. Mm. I'm I'm not really a poet like I've written a few poems but I don't consider myself a poet so I don't feel very part of that and also by the time I started writing quote-unquote professionally like COVID was right around the corner so even if I wanted to get involved with it there was this thing stopping me from doing that uh there are a lot of writers out of Canada uh, not a lot who I personally know but I don't know a lot of people I'm just <laughs> I feel like I'm just floating around in the ether saying, hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's weird because my, you know, the book is set in the States. My mm-hmm. agent Mariah is American, you yeah. know, uh, the imprint's American. So I don't think I know as many Canadian writing people as I would if I were publishing something with like a Canadian imprint, but I'd like to know more Canadian. Yeah, people. for sure. And I, I want to talk about like the business side. So your agent, the publisher, mm-hmm. everything is American. Um, yeah. Did, was there any in, uh, querying to Canadian agents? What did you like? What was that like that process like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I considered like American and Canadian agents. I consider both of them. Like mm-hmm. I, I sent queries to, you know, both countries, yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's a there's just way more agents in the States. So it just tended to trend more towards Americans. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think since it is set in the United States, it was a lot easier to get a, uh, yeah. an American agent, but I don't think one's better than the other. It just kind of ended up that way. No, for sure. And yeah. I just find it interesting because I remember talking to an, a Canadian author on a smaller Canadian imprint, mm-hmm. like not with one of the big five or anything. And he mm-hmm. was just saying like, he was just, just diving into what like the small literary scene is like, obviously the big five crosses yeah. over. It's, it's or big, I don't even know how many big ones there are. Anymore. I think it's but four. I think yeah, there are four. See, it was going to be three. And then they said, no, you can't. The big ones. I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the ones. Yeah, the ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so not to harp on COVID because I don't want to, but no, you started know. writing and in school and getting mm-hmm. an agent during the COVID time, it seems like you, you sold it during COVID. So, yeah, I was querying. Basically, I started a little bit before COVID started, but then most of the queries I sent were kind of as it began, like January to February to March 2020. And I signed with my agent Mariah in August of 2020. So I had been inside my house for a long time at that (laughs) point. And yeah, we sold it during COVID, uh, which for me, I don't really know if it affected the experience at all. Just since I am in Canada anyway, I wouldn't have been meeting anyone in person and nobody really does that anymore. This isn't, you know, 90s publishing where you meet the editor was like a cigar in his mouth mm-hmm. and he's yelling and flipping through papers in his office I don't know if I mean Maybe my editor could that, have a so. cigar in her mouth I don't think she does she doesn't seem like she would <laughs> but I don't knows? know yeah Anything I don't know I don't see what she's doing yeah <laughs> uh yeah and then you um so you sell it sorry I'm just really I, I love to get the timeline no. down because I feel a lot of writers <laughs> that do people reach out to me for advice and I'm like, I don't know anything. I just talk to people. But this is a question that comes up a lot is like what the timeline looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm interested because this relatively not happened quick, but like writing, selling, everything like happened in in a compacted time, it feels. I, it does feel kind of compacted for me, for sure. I, you know, cause it took me maybe two years to go from like the first draft to querying. And, you know, that included like beta readers and lots of edits and then yeah I'd, I'd had my agent for less than a year when it sold like we were only on submission for I want to say two months which is really unusual and I feel really lucky yeah. about that uh it's very exciting but like you were saying I feel so I don't like giving advice just because it varies so much but um <laughs> so you you had your agent did you and you were on submission yes. for two months and then everything kind of happened ish. got it two yeah months, ish, and it kind of came together definitely yeah. um once you find your editor what are edits like uh is it is it historical editing is it you know the nitty-gritty editing what did it look like I mean it's interesting because the big edit there was a really big edit but that was when I signed with my agent mm-hmm. there had been uh not to give everything away but there is a big event mm-hmm. maybe two-thirds into the book where uh something big and dramatic happens mm-hmm and initially in my uh, draft that I was querying with, a different character was the one affected by this event. Mm-hmm. It, uh, but then my agent said, actually, let's flip it around. And I think you can tell what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a really big edit that I did before we were even on submission. So that was the bulk of the editing. So then by the time... Uh, I was doing edits with my editor, Asante. Most of it was, 
you know, can you explain what she's thinking here more? Can you cut this part down a little? There were like some historical edits, but most of it was pretty, pretty minor. Like, you know, this can of this brand of beer didn't exist until the nineties. Can you switch it to something else? Mm -hmm. uh, I felt proud of myself that there was nothing too glaringly false, yeah. at least to her. Yeah. So yeah, the edits, once I got to her, were pretty, pretty standard minor for sure Thanks, and I like think. that that two-thirds incident edit the incident whatever yeah <laughs> the bathroom the, the, incident yes um so uh, yeah spoiler free here whatever We're, we'll dance yeah, around what okay. happens we'll um, dance around it yeah. but like once you do that edit like does mm -hmm. the story in like yes your agent was making the suggestion <laughs> you obviously did it like how did it change the story not plot wise but for you like freeing everything up did it make more sense all of a sudden like what you yeah. I mean? like, what, how did you feel once you finally made that switch? It it felt it felt right mm. to me because I I'd always been writing it and I felt sometimes like I was writing a story that already existed in a way. Um, you know, I think when I was writing it myself and editing it myself, I wasn't being necessarily super adventurous with what I thought was plausible to have happen in a plot, but then you know, when my agent said, actually, let's switch this around and have it be really unexpected. I felt like, oh, I can actually take this in places I didn't think I was able to bring it, which was exciting. Um, yeah, it, it felt it felt nice to do that, but it was also very daunting. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It always feels weird to edit things based on other people's ideas or suggestions because for so long it just lives in your head and then other people have opinions. But usually those other opinions are not better than my own, but uh, more useful. Because yeah, <laughs> you, know, you sure. get stuck in your own head and you can't, can't think after a certain point in time. You know, you're yeah. just moving commas around instead of making actual substantial edits. <laughs> yeah. What did the last third, was that heavy re-editing, heavy writing? Like, or did it yeah. kind of fall into place like pretty naturally? Well, yeah, the, the basic structure of it has always been kind of the same like a lot of the uh the plot beats and stuff were the same even after that big edit but just the reasons for those things happening were, yeah. were different um you know at the end of the book fawn moves to new york she's always moved to new york she was mm -hmm. always going to move to new york uh but you know the reason she does that is a little bit different and what she does there ended up being a little different mm -hmm. um you know i liked getting to edit it and kind of just explore what she would do in different scenarios and yeah it was it was nice to try something new that ended up working better at the top of the conversation I mentioned your books being blurbed as a comparison or as a you know as you may like mm -hmm. this book if you liked Daisy Jones Opal and Nev have you read those because I mean you were writing before those books came out yeah so that's that's an interesting thing because to me like when I was writing, like you said, that they hadn't come out yet. And I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't read Daisy Jones. I, of course I hadn't read Opal and Nev. Yeah. Uh, even though Daisy Jones came out in, I, don't, I think like 2019, I hadn't yeah, read it, it yeah. when I was writing this at all. I read it after it was done and I was mm -hmm. like deep in just copy edits. So those comparisons are interesting to me because they're not on purpose, at least yeah. for me. Like, I'm glad they can find like a marketing slot to put it into, yeah. but it, I didn't do it on purpose. Um, Honestly, the most inspirational book to me writing this uh, 
It was The Girls by Emma Klein. Mm. Uh, oh, I love that book. I I was so obsessed with that when I first read it. You know, just reimagining the Manson family from the perspective of someone just kind of on the fringes. I love stories about cults. And I feel like Groupies almost turned out like a cult story. Not literally. I'm not saying like a rock band's a cult, mm. but the mentality of you know, not questioning your so-called leader and doing things that are not for your own good kind of fell into groupies also, so. Yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah. they have similar beats, I guess, cults and yeah. like groupies <laughs> of the 1970s. Like, not obviously not a one-to-one comparison, but for sure. Yeah. Um, so those books weren't out. Was Almost Famous a pivotal, like, watch for you? Because it was for me, like, I was like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm a little older than you, but it's like, yeah, I, I wish I was in the seventies and I could write for Rolling Stone. That was more of it yeah. for me. Like, you know, do, was that a pivotal movie for you at any point in life? Yeah. I, you know, not to keep bringing it back to when I was a teenager, but well, we have I to, haven't so. lived a very long life yet, you know? So that's all, all the stuff that happened to me was kind of back then. But uh, yeah, I, I still love Almost Famous. Like I wrote an essay about Almost <laughs> Famous for electrical literature which was very exciting mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. I'm so gotta plug it but yeah that movie it's so long and it's so rambly and very little happens but I love that I love when a character is just doing things and enjoying themselves or just having the worst time of their lives <laughs> like aesthetically musically just in terms of vibes almost famous is such a fun movie and it was like a like a loose inspiration for groupies, especially, of course, you have Penny Lane and all the other band-aids. But, you know, every time I'd watch Almost Famous, I would just think, William can shut up. I don't care what he's doing. I don't care about Stillwater. Like, just give me three hours of Penny Lane hanging out with her friends. Uh, be careful what you wish for. Well, you will get like a mini series starring Penny Lane. And that was like, what? no, no. I mean, like, oh. No, like we won't. We it's not out there, but we it will oh eventually be out there, right? No, there's I no. I mean, I hope so. You should write. Maybe get go with I Cameron Crow and be like, oh, and they can put yeah. Kate go. Hudson can come back with like that de aging <laughs> yeah, CGI that they did on uh Ben Platt and Dear mm-hmm. Evan Hansen. I think that's just a rumor. I don't think they really did that. I, I can't. Imagine she doesn't they even did need Platt. to be. <laughs> no, no, but she doesn't need yeah. to be de-aged. She's so smooth. Uh, but <laughs> forever, Kate Hudson. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your essay, Electric Literature, were, were true hot. Sorry, your essay on electric literature, were yeah. too harsh on Penny Lane. Yes. Um, were we too harsh on Penny Lane? We were too harsh on Penny Lane. I can tell you right now. Um, <laughs> Definitely. I'll, pl- I'll put the, the essay in the show notes okay. so people can click to it. Um, yeah. So the girls was inspirational. Were there mm-hmm. any other... I usually ask what, what you're reading now, and I will, but were mm-hmm. there other books that kind of shaped you, your writing, your interest in topics that you read going back to your teenage years during like yeah. those years? Well, uh, you know, there was the girls and then around the same time, I also read, keep in mind, this was a while ago, so they may seem overexposed now, but at the time I felt really like in the know, uh, I was really into Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler, which also I think you see some echoes of in groupies, you know, a young woman moves to the big city, tries to start her career in this kind of toxic environment 
uh, it's like a belated coming of age story, mm-hmm. which I think groupies also is. I don't know. I just, I like books where uh, people are in their twenties and have no idea what is going on with their lives. I'm in my thirties. Can I relate? Maybe. No, exactly. That's, I mean, that's, what's relatable. I think I look at Day yeah. Beautiful and I'll like be recommending the books I've read or that mm-hmm. uh, my girlfriend, or I have like readers who read things and suggest things to me to read. Yeah. And they're always coming, like coming of age, you know, it'll be like, if I control F, it'll be like four of the recommendations every month because that's, yeah. we're all trying to still figure it out. So you'll, you'll still mm-hmm. write coming of age, even when you're in your forties. Yeah, I think so. Come on, yeah. Um, what have you been um, reading recently or want to read that's like on your radar? Okay, recently, I made a little list because oh, I yeah. was anticipating this. Um, the last thing that I read that I really, really can't stop thinking about was The Pisces by Melissa Broder. I'll Have interrupt you read that one? real quick. I um, <laughs> used to work on a in a bookstore in Phoenix, and yeah. that was like my go to book recommendation. Oh, and this is how I pitched it. It's um she may or may not have sex with a merman and that's all I had to say but it was yeah. fly off the shelf I mean there's obviously it's about more but yeah the Pisces more, is one of my that's, favorites yeah, yeah that's the core you know yeah. I just you know I can't get enough of these books about sad women doing mm-hmm. sad things that's my yeah can't get what? enough of them are we oversaturated <laughs> no Never. Never give me give me all of the sad girls doing <laughs> sad things yes exactly um <laughs> Uh, speaking of sad, sad girls doing sad things, uh, also a book that just came out um, is All I Stole From You by Ava Bellows, also a debut. So a couple months ago, I have to say this, uh, Ava like connected with me on social media. She was like, hey, we're the same age. We both have books coming out. Isn't that cool? Um, but even if I was not emailing her constantly, I would still vouch for this book. It's just this really like evocative, really emotional story of this young woman who's very, very lost. She's kind of grieving and she falls in love with a married, much older tattoo artist. And, you know, you have this dynamic of how their relationship is impacting her, trying to figure out who she is, all these big feelings, all these emotions, all this crying. I love it. I love to read a book and just be very sad for a couple of days, but also (laughs) a little hopeful. Thank you so much to Sarah for joining the podcast. You can find her on her website, sarahpriscus.com, on Twitter at Sarah Priscus, and then uh, Instagram has a period between her first and last name, sarah.priscus. Um, Groupies is available now. It is like one hell of a ride. It is just a good uh, 1970s rock and roll novel that I think fans of the era and fans not of the era will just find really entertaining. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.